Welcome to the Mental Models Podcast. I'm George Baxter, and I'm a hedge fund manager for SaberPoint Capital Management. I'm Dan Krawczyk. I'm a neuroscientist and professor at the University of Texas at Dallas. And together we explore mental models. That is how we view the world and what the world gives us for feedback. It's not a brain in a jar. That's the gist. We're back with the Mental Models Podcast uh, since our last several recordings that we had. Uh, we've had a bit of a new development, which has led to both Dan and I attempting to uh, put together this episode uh, from remote locations. And of course, what I'm talking about is uh, the COVID-19 virus and uh, the response that we've taken nationwide to sheltering in place and social distancing. Uh, And we thought that uh, it might be helpful to talk about a number of biases that are quite rich in this given environment. So one other thing that uh, we want to touch base about is our new book that's out. It's Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Financial Decision Making that's available on Amazon. Right. So to set a little bit of context, we are uh, recording this just at the very end of March 2020. The virus has hit the world. It's declared a pandemic and uh, the U.S. is now leading in number of cases. And so, uh, like most of you, this is uh, dominating our day-to-day thinking and affecting our lives. Um, we're nationally at a shelter-in-place uh, period, um, and uh, an enormous stimulus uh, package has just been approved. So these are really unusual conditions. And so George and I are going to talk in this episode about um, how we make sense of the world in these radically changing times with new developments that uh, we had not anticipated Uh, as little as a few weeks ago, or certainly a month ago, and some uh, cognitive biases that affect our thinking um, and how we can try to cope with them and recalibrate our thinking to avoid some of these challenges. So I think it's helpful to step back and think about the mind-boggling scope of the issues that we're currently facing and the response that the government has had uh, to try to address those issues and mitigate their effects. So uh, the coronavirus right now, there's about 135,000 cases in the United States. Uh, 200 and uh, just under 2,400 people have died. Uh, And just to put those both in context, uh, about a week ago, there were 46,000 cases in the United States that we knew of, and only 500 people had died. So uh, with respect to deaths, uh, we've seen a nearly a five-fold increase uh, in just a week. So there's a geometric growth uh, to this. And of course, uh, there's great concern that it will overwhelm our medical system. And, uh, and of course, the government has responded by requesting that everyone stay at home, avoid contact with others, uh, and uh, to try to minimize the spread and the economic effects associated with that behavior are devastating. Uh, if we think about normal recession uh, in which there's an excess amount of supply relative to current demand uh, or even the financial crisis, you might see demand drop uh, like we did in the financial crisis by 10 or 20% uh, of uh, total sales, that would be extreme, 20%. In the Great Depression, maybe it was 30 or 35% drop in sales. 
Uh, but here, if you're a restaurateur or you run an airline or uh, hotels or any sort of a service, uh, or if you're a retailer, like for instance, uh, that's a mall-based retailer like Macy's or Nordstrom, sales have dropped uh, not by 10 or 20 or 30 percent, but in some cases, you know, it's 80, 90, 95 percent. They've evaporated. They're gone. No revenue. And this environment, you know, comes towards the end of an economic cycle where we've seen corporate indebtedness expand beyond where it was in uh, the great financial crisis. So a lot of businesses really can't survive uh, going a month or even longer uh, without revenue. And so the government has scrambled to try to respond with a massive uh, intervention in terms from a fiscal standpoint and a monetary standpoint. From a monetary standpoint, the Fed dropped its interest rates down to zero uh, over the course of a couple of weeks. Uh, and they've engaged in QE, which they have said is untethered, that it is unlimited. There is no cap as to how much quantitative easing they're going to be engaging in which is much more extreme uh, than what was presented during the financial crisis where the amount of quantitative easing were actually quantified and the rate at which they're purchasing is higher than ever. Uh, and then you couple that with the fiscal response. Uh, the House and the Senate passed a bill, uh, the CARES Act, which uh, is, is on its face, $2 trillion worth of stimulus, but there's a portion of it that allows the uh, Federal Reserve to lever uh, the, the bailout for potentially large corporations, uh, and it could be as much as $5 trillion worth of a response. So it is mind-bogglingly large and extensive, and it's kind of like a immovable object that is struck by an unstoppable force, kind of uh, mental schema that, that has been put forward before. It, it doesn't really make sense because it's not something that we know of in nature, but the magnitude of both of these events are so unprecedented that it's very difficult to come up with a rational response. Uh, and so it opens the door for a lot of psychological bias. Right, and there's a lot of speculating about the future and what will likely occur and this is happening on a day-to-day -day basis. Probably most people are following the news uh, with greater attention than normal. And uh, whenever you look at news, uh, you are open to what's known as the salience bias, which is a tendency to over-represent sort of dramatic, um, hyperbolic kinds of, uh, of, of situations in, in one's mind. And uh, the, the news often filters around those because there needs to be something emotionally evocative for a story to kind of rise through the noise level. And when you have new unprecedented events taking place like this, um, some of them will be accurate and some will not be. And so um, it can be hard to step back and it can really only be solved through time that some of these um, worrisome possibilities either come to fruition or do not. Uh, so we're right in the middle of just changing times with uh, very dramatic effects. Um, but uh, I think all of us will have to go through some kind of calibration process to to really grapple with what's a sensible prediction um, that will follow. And, and feeding all of this is, is what's known as affect bias as well. So whenever something emotional appears on the horizon, we tend to uh, over fixate on that. 
And so if we have a strong negative uh, kind of projection early, that'll tend to stay with us uh, longer than it ought to, even when counter evidence starts to emerge. And so these are two things that, um, you know, it's really hard at the moment to uh, know what is uh, appropriately salient and what is the appropriate emotion to hold. Um, but I think those are two of the, the biases that are uh, we're at risk for as individuals right now as uh, constant news unfolds and as we make uh, comparisons from region to region, um, some things will come to fruition, some things will not. It's just very hard to know at the moment. And there's a real evolution to how all this has developed, where various biases come into play along the process of uh, events as they unfold. So when this first happened, uh, there were notions that it was overstated, uh, that it was much like the common flu, which kills uh, thousands of people every year in the United States. And uh, there, uh, we, we've been on the back of a massive rally, uh, one that had lasted for longer than any in the history of the United States, about 11 years, uh, that was based off of our emergence from the great financial crisis. And you were always rewarded for buying the dip. So uh, I think a lot of uh, investors, both institutional and uh, retail investors, saw uh, market reactions to the virus early on, and they would buy the dip because that it looked like perhaps this was an overreaction. And uh, there was this notion that you, would, you should always buy the dip, particularly the uh, Fed, uh, has got your back if they're back there providing uh, stimulus in the forms of quantitative easing and lower interest rates. Uh, and so I think there was an initial response which, you know, gave people this sense of control. They had an illusion of control and some some notion of invulnerability that, you know, they'd been rewarded over and over for taking uh, incremental risk. Uh, and then that was undermined quite quickly uh, once the market uh, continued its reversal and, you know, you saw lower lows, uh, which, you know, quickly evolved to a state of fear. And people would try, I think, often try to compensate for being overextended by going in the opposite direction. And in some cases, they go to cash. In some cases, they uh, you know, flipped to being very heavily short, only to see so many people and so much of the sentiment get on one side of the boat that you have a massive barrel market rally that followed, uh, which we witnessed this last week, as the stimulus package was being rolled out and got momentum within Congress. And uh, it looked like there may be a response, this massive challenge that we have before us. Right. So illusions of vulner invulnerability are uh, one of the topics you touched on just there, which uh, come about after a prolonged period of success. Someone begins to uh, believe they uh, understand the circumstances maybe better than they uh, really do. And uh, the, the level of the perception of risk in some ways dissipates uh, with high confidence levels. Once things are shaken and you start to have really unpredictable, novel uh, circumstances uh, hitting you as we do at the current moment, people will often try to reestablish some sense of control. And as you mentioned, buying the dip, trying to rely on previously successful uh, strategies that would normally apply. Um, and uh, I think a lot of people's responses to the virus uh, follow that 
um, that trying to assert personal control. And it can drive people in a variety of, of directions. Two of the most um, extreme directions would be uh, the person who really does not believe this is going to affect our daily lives uh, is moving about in society, uh, flouting any sort of notion of shelter in place, uh, going to stores, handling food, you know, just being very carefree. And in some ways, that overreaction of sort of taking risks, maybe because someone's trying to, to reassert control, it's, uh, they, they, they sort of believe in their own uh, health and uh, that this minimizing concerns and, and by taking these actions, they're, they're in some ways conquering the virus. And you could find the same illusions driving the opposite behavior of someone who is um, acting so catastrophic and emotional that they're, um, you know, arming themselves and having uh, a year's supply worth of food and expecting the apocalypse in any second, uh, that can come about. Those actions also would reassert control of, I'm preparing for the absolute worst. And so so taking these actions uh, is in some ways, maybe to create an illusion of control within ourselves. And so how to calibrate your own response, um, you know, somewhere between those extremes, taking a appropriate actions uh, can be biased in, in these different ways based on these illusions. I think it's important for us to step back and recognize that this is an emotionally charged situation and uh, that those emotions will not just affect how it is that we may think and may not just affect the conclusions that we draw about the information that we acquire, but they'll also affect the other participants that are in the market and uh, will likely sway them from one extreme to another. And that could actually have an economic effect on the underlying businesses that the evaluations are being made on. So, for instance, if you think about credit and the availability of credit, a lot of it comes down to faith. It's the notion that uh, companies will actually be able to pay their bills at some point in time in the future. And if the stimulus program is adequate, and it seems like that could actually save a lot of these businesses, then perhaps uh, credit will be provided outside of the context of just the stimulus uh, or the, the rescue package. Uh, I think stimulus is probably not an appropriate term, uh, given the nature of the intent of uh, what's been put out. Then on the other side, if uh, it seems that, that it's not adequate, then uh, there may be subsequent conclusions that are drawn that are very much affected uh, and enhanced by the emotionally charged atmosphere uh, that will then make credit tighter, uh, which then will feed into the emotionally charged atmosphere. And you get this self-reinforcing effect, which we've talked about briefly before, the reflexive effect that George Soros brought up in uh, his book, The Alchemy of Finance, uh, where uh, the actions and beliefs of investors have a self-reinforcing effect because they affect the operations of the businesses that they're observing, they're investing in, or uh, that uh, they may be going short. What we really want to illustrate here is that the playground uh, for bias is really set here. And it's important that we as investors uh, recognize that the decisions we're making are likely to be emotionally charged and the decisions of our counterparties are likely to be emotionally charged. And if we can step back and have a rational assessment of what will likely do well regardless of the environment, regardless of uh, you have the extreme negative outcome or the extreme positive outcome, uh, 
then those are bets that you'd be more likely to want to make because there is so much uncertainty associated with uh, the current environment. It feels as if focusing on one's assumptions is really important in these current times, just uh, not, not taking knowledge for granted because we are in such uh, unusual circumstances. Um, so checking one's assumptions regularly and also it seems important to focus on more of a, a short-term viewpoint just because um, any speculation out into the coming weeks to months it, it seems unwise just because um, circumstances are evolving in, in ways that uh, we, we can't really prepare for. One can look to other countries for examples or, but you're always faced with, is that really analogous to uh, our current circumstances? So uh, highly emotional times, um, probably focusing on the short term and, and really checking all assumptions is going to be necessary for, for a while here. I would agree with you, Dan, with one small caveat. And that would be that I think your time frame should either be extremely short and you should think tactically, or you should have a very long time frame, uh, one that's 10 years. Or so, uh, and the notion there would be there's there's two different there's two different elements to that thinking. One, if you think about the United States, we've been through a lot throughout history for the last 200 years. Uh, it, you know, World War One, World War Two, uh, there was the uh, the Spanish fever, so we've been through something similar like this at that point in time. Uh, the 1970s and the inflation that was existed that existed there in a market that went nowhere for 10 years with great inflation, 9-11, the great financial crisis, the Great Depression. A bet on America in the long run has been a good bet. And uh, the only reason I would think that you would not want to make that bet if you have a long-term perspective is that you feel like, and it's, and it's a valid conversation at this point in time, that what is happening here is a turning point where the economic success of the United States that we've realized over the last several hundred years will not be reflected going forward. And uh, so now if you take that position, you don't know necessarily what's going to happen in the very short term, but if you have a sense as to what's going to happen in the very long term and you can buy securities at what look like reasonably good prices on a, you know, a normalized basis. Now, what is that? That's difficult. Uh, but if you can assume that a normalized basis looks something like what it looked like in the past over the long term, then that, you know, that may be a reasonable purchase. And then, you know, as far as what happens between now and when you get to 10 years from now, you don't make it, you don't alternate. You're just simply buying those high quality companies that you can hold for a very long period of time that can weather the storm. And that would mean avoiding things that have excessive leverage where the short-term circumstances uh, could be so dramatic that uh, they don't actually make it to the other side. And then alternatively, uh, you take an extremely short-term view uh, and recognize that markets don't move in a straight line and uh, that you, you, know, you, you, you trade this market. And that's very difficult to do. Uh, that's not a that's not a simple a simple endeavor, and it usually takes experience. It usually takes an appropriate measurement or or some sort of sense as to the emotions of the market. Uh, and it's one of those situations where you may be uh, in tune with it, you may do well 
uh, at different periods of time and then do poorly at other periods of time because you've, you've misunderstood uh, the nature of, of the market. And so you'll see managers, very talented managers from time to time, uh, do well under certain circumstances, and then the, you know, the stream is never the same twice, and they have a harder time later. Well put. So sticking to fundamentals, it's particularly tough right now because um, people want to act, right? It, under emotionally shifting times, uh, you have sometimes acting feels like you're psychologically achieving something and changing your circumstances. But um, thank you for the reminder, right? We, we do want to keep long time horizons in mind. Uh, things do tend to stabilize uh, with time. So uh, for this episode, we covered the uh, initial reactions to COVID-19, which we'll be talking about on, on this podcast for for uh, quite some time into the future uh, from the way it looks right now. Uh, we talked about affect bias and salience bias, the tendency for us to have a hard time calibrating uh, our thinking when circumstances are highly emotional and evocative as they are right now. And uh, there's no actual remedy to this other than uh, continuing to follow news and continue to try to uh, check your assumptions and assemble a reasonable uh, world viewpoint um, as much as you can. And we also talked about illusions uh, such as invulnerability and illusions of control where people uh, take action to try to reassert control uh, all the while uh, failing to properly estimate their, their real sense of control. Uh, that, that's certainly uh, coming into play uh, during these times. So uh, we'll be continuing this conversation on the biases related to pandemics uh, in a part two, where we'll, we'll explore uh, other features of a response uh, to something like COVID-19. So one other thing that uh, we want to touch base about is our new book that's out. It's Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Financial Decision Making that's available on Amazon. We'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Thank you for spending your time listening to the Mental Models Podcast. Content matters because your brain does not exist in a jar. Please subscribe. Visit mentalmodelspodcast.com for updates on Dan and George's upcoming book release titled Understanding Behavioral Bias, A Guide to Improving Financial Decision Making. Also available on mentalmodelspodcast.com are show notes, book reviews, and upcoming behavioral finance seminars with Dan and George. The Mental Models Podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Twitter. Please subscribe, and thank you for listening.